welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, expert in child development, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive self-regulation program that integrates social-emotional learning and discipline. In general, it provides adults and children with the skills to be disciplined enough to set and achieve goals, conscious enough to know when you're off track, and connected enough to others so you are willing to persevere toward your goal and return to your most cherished values. So what are real teachers? Real teachers are real people who have a life both inside and outside the classroom. Real teachers take vacations and go out dancing. Real teachers may be drinkers, soccer moms, line dance wizards, or rock climbers. Real teachers may enjoy their life outside the classroom with gusto, yet they get up day after day ready to give their heart and soul to others. Real Talk for Real Teachers is a growing community of loving professionals who seek to love themselves as much as they love others. Today we're talking about conscious discipline and faith. And this came up because conscious discipline just organically became used in so many diverse faith-based educational settings. And we almost stand back and go, wow, how did this happen? And one of the things that conscious discipline asked us to do is to shift from reliance on fear to a reliance on love to discipline ourselves and others. And so what does this mean in the uh, a quick down and dirty version. It means we're going to shift from punishing children for their mistakes to teaching them the missing skill that they needed to overcome that mistake or avoid that. So we're moving from punishment to teaching, from fear to love. So today I have with me Amy Spidell. Now, Amy's been with us in conscious discipline for 10 years or more, travels worldwide. She's been a teacher. She's currently a coach at a pediatrician's office, helping parents with all their parental needs in regard to conscious discipline. And she speaks all over the world. And we're going to be talking about conscious discipline and faith. I invited Amy for several reasons. First, we're both strong women with strong faith. Second, I know a little bit about Amy's background, and she grew up in a very um, fear-based orientation towards faith, a, a big, strong right and wrong. And if you, if you veer from that, bad things should happen to you and need to happen to you to keep you on the straight and narrow. And she evolved herself out of that and then discovered conscious discipline, which added to that. So I'm excited that we're here to have this conversation, Amy, and how conscious discipline intersects with faith. And it doesn't agree. It's not a re- it's not, it doesn't intersect with any religion. It's just faith. And again, faith is that, that, that sense of optimism that th- things are going to, I don't know how, but they're going to work out. And you know, we're all going to make it somehow, and I don't have the proof or the evidence or anything. Even actually, I don't have any evidence because I look out in the world and think, we're oh, we're all doomed. So <laughs> welcome, Amy. And, and can you just share a little bit about your earlier life and your life now? Sure. Uh, I think that, you know, growing up in the faith that I did, and I have to say, I think I was um, 
uh, different than my siblings. I think that I had a more um, tender look at the world for whatever reason. And uh, the way that the, the faith hit me was that I was inherently flawed. <laughs> so there was something very wrong with me, and I wasn't sure how I was ever supposed to make that right. Um, one of the examples just in our childhood, uh, when we were old enough to be left alone, my parents would stand at the door. They did this, as far as I know, they did this every single time they left us on our own. They stood at the door and they said, we won't be able to see what you're doing, but God will know. <laughs> it was like, crap. <laughs> and, oh, God's watching. Yeah, exactly. But it was like this, you know, this being in the sky that was out to get me or rat me out or whatever. And, uh, and I think that something very deep changed for me. I had a very close uh, friendship, my friendship with uh, my friend Linda. And something changed for us. And it became um, some, uh, we, we, we listened to the words of that faith. We read the text of that faith in a very different way. And we discovered that uh, there was love in those, in those, uh, those, uh, uh, passages. There was, there was love that came out so much louder than we'd ever heard it growing up. And so that started to shift what I started to look for. And I think that when I first heard conscious discipline, it wrapped the words. It put words around what my heart was looking for. And I think instead of feeling that initial, you are inherently flawed. It turned to, you are inherently worthy. And the worthiness didn't mean I didn't have stuff to work on, or there wasn't things that, that needed to be improved in my life, or that I wasn't making mistakes and needed to apologize or, or, or make them better. It was that my core of who I was, was, was was worthy. I don't, I don't even know any other word to say it, but that it was created, uh, in a beautiful way rather than in a distorted kind of, uh, you know, ugly, um, dirty way. So it, yeah, it, it shifted it, it, everything since in, for me. Right. And, and, and the Christian, uh, religion, you know, I am as God created me. So if, you know, if we're pieces of dirt, that doesn't, doesn't set well for, for God. So I guess if if right. if we are created as our uh you know as our creator then we should have attributes of that creator right. which is love. And 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 I think what hit me hard uh growing up is that the simple simple phrase. I didn't get into all the details of any religion, but I I grabbed hold of one phrase. Uh love one another. Mm. And I and and that one's what stuck with me, and and it didn't have exceptions down at the bottom. It you know it's not like there was a caption love one another, and it did go number one except, number two except number there was no exceptions to that. That's all I heard was, and and I wasn't an exception to that either, and so that's kind of been a life journey. I think it reflects a little bit in, in conscious discipline because it's my life work. Right. So before we engage you, I want to tell a story, and I know you have many of these too, Amy. So I was doing this keynote myself, and there must have been about two or 3,000 people out there. And this was probably, oh, 10, 12 years ago. And I'm up there just doing a 45-minute keynote about conscious discipline. And after it was over, I had these, these two women came up to me and go, oh, my gosh, you must, you know, Jesus is in, 
is inspiriting your body and you must be a Christian. I mean, they were all up and down and excited about that. And then they, you know, and I just said, thank you. And then right after them comes this uh, interesting looking couple. And they said, wow, I've never heard Buddhist principles put into practice like that. And I just said, thank you. And then a little bit, I mean, this all happened in a row. I was just like shocked. And then shortly after this, here comes two women and go, that was the Torah. And I was like, thank you. And then finally, the last one was a big old guy, you know, belly hanging over his belt and cowboy boots, walked across the stage, grabbed my hand and said, never heard the 12-step program put so well, my dear. And so it's somehow when we're talking, they're hearing something. Have you experienced that, Amy? Absolutely. And I think that it's because... uh, uh, like many um, messages that are deeper than the words that that are uh, actually spoken, it speaks to a very deep place within us. It is our. Uh, it, it goes to a place where we sense the uh, truth. Maybe isn't really the word I'm looking for, but a depth that says. That's it. That's it. And I know when I first heard conscious discipline, that's exactly the experience that I had. Was this has put words to something that's very deep within me. So it wasn't just um, these are this is an interesting concept or what an interesting program. It was this. I can feel this in my bones. And that's what I find, too. We're hearing people go, wow, this makes sense. This there's something that resonates inside me that this sounds like this is something that just needs to happen. And I, I think as we collectively move from relying on fear to manipulate and coerce and and we move over to love so that we can be of service and realize that we're not the only person on the planet and we have to kind of hold hands if we're going to get to this notion called inner or world peace. You know, so I hear people saying that. Now, also conscious discipline is brain-based And it's interesting when you look at brain-based, you're thinking, oh, this is science over here. And so, you know, there's always this kind of science and faith, maybe dichotomy. But if you look at the list of the top 10 healthiest things we can do for our brain, the number one, number one, above exercise, above intellectual stimulation, above connecting with each other, above doing crossword puzzles, (laughs) number one is faith. And that's faith defined as this strong, unshakable belief in something without any proof. And I can't remember who said it. And uh, you might know, Amy, it's, uh, you know, that some of the most valuable things aren't measurable. And some of the stuff we don't need to know about is measurable. Right. And I think when it comes to education, or it comes to children, or it comes to teaching, there's the art of teaching. There's this something that we can't measure that great teachers have. There's this something that we will never be able to wrap our hands around that, uh, that uh, passionate and compassionate people uh, emit. H- has that been your experience or can you add to that? Yeah. And I, again, I think that what it, what bubbles up within us is something that is so 
basic to how we were created to be, that as human beings, we weren't created to walk through the world afraid of everything. Uh, we were created to be in community, and we were created to be in supportive experiences. And it, you know, for many reasons in many cultures, it got off track. And I think that now that we have a way of looking at it from a brain perspective, it has freed us up to move back to that original truth that lies within us. It's not that, uh, it's not that that truth ever went away. It's just that we got scared of trusting it. And I think that what conscious discipline has done, what you've done in weaving this together is that in, uh, showing why this works, uh, from, uh, from our just physicality, um, it then allows us to see how it can work in our practicality. So we're able to bring our truth back into the light and, and live that. So, you know, I mean, people yell at their kids because they got yelled at and because they were told that that's how you raise kids. And so we, we, you know, perpetuate the myth that that's the way to do it. And I believe that what I grabbed a hold of with conscious discipline was the, um, the freedom to say, uh, I get to go back to something that feels much more, tr- much more, um, just organic and right within me. Yeah. It's that sense that, you know, as a parent or teacher, you can go to bed at night and, you're not you're not sitting there bubbling up guilt. You're you're there being grateful for a beautiful day, and it feels so different. Now, have you run into people? And I have a little bit. Have you run into people who struggle with their religion, which is different than faith? Now, their religion, which has some doctrine around it, and conscious discipline. Have you run into that situation? I think sometimes uh, it you think that, uh, but how does this really? Um, teach children to be responsible if they're not punished for their acts. So again, it goes back to um, the training that we've had around religious content, um, and and the fear that if I if I am if I am compassionate towards this uh, this meltdown, then I'm training them in a way that they shouldn't be acting. And if I'm more harsh to it, then they'll grow uh, to be sturdy. Uh, so, there, of course, and, you know, and it's not just in faith base. I think it's in every um, community culture. It's, it's how we're, you know, just what we know. And so, yes, I think people have. I think the shift is when you take it to, like, I just talked with a family the other day where he said they were having trouble just keeping their little child in bed at night. And his dad said to him, you need to pull him up by his feet, smack him on his bottom, and tell him he cannot get out of bed. And I'll tell you, that's what we did to you, and you never got out of bed. And this dad said, part of me thinks that's what I should do. And another part of me thinks... That sounds horrible. <laughs> so it was the, the the struggle that he went through, and he, this was a this was a, a faith situation of you know you just need to get him in line, and he said to me something in me knows that that didn't work for me, and so he can look back and and be very compassionate towards his dad, who was doing the best that he knew to do at the time, and know that. 
if he can feel assured that his child's still going to learn and grow and become uh, self-regulated and, and responsible in the world and loving and compassionate, that if he can do that without the hurtful part of it, why wouldn't you do that? So right. I think I, that's I, the shift. Yeah. I see that all the time. It's like, okay, if I let go of this punishment, then we're, how do we get moral responsibility? Exactly. And, and I think that's the beauty of the, when, the, when we became more conscious and aware of what goes on inside our brain. And it's almost, it, it goes contra contradictory to that. So the more I scare you to death, the more harsh I am to you, the more I, I keep you down in the lower centers of your brain. And in the lower centers of your brain, you become more like an animal because we share that with the animal world. You know, right. so we're like, you've got to, you know, either eat or be eaten. And, and little did we know, what if we came up to the higher centers of our brain where we say, you know, what I offer to you, I strengthen in myself. I mean, so that there's this bigger picture that we're all in this together. And, and if I make you into an animal and make you into an animal, then we're going to stay in that revenge cycle of, you know, you hurt me, I hurt you. And we lose that notion called forgiveness. And once we lose that notion of compassion and forgiveness, then we create nothing but uh, struggle in our world and in our homes and in our schools. So, you know, but what about the notion, you know, we hear all this time, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. What about that? How would you respond if someone said, well, you know, you can't teach them how to behave. You've got to beat some sense into them. So how do you respond to that? I, I think it's kind of like uh, the, the game telephone. You know, you, you know, when we used to play that game where it was said at one point and then it got, you know, said a little bit differently and a little bit differently and a little bit differently. Some of the things that we perhaps have gravitated towards out of our fear um, have been misplaced in the way that we hear them and the way that we, uh, uh, the way that we understand them. And so we take concepts from um, ancient times and we put them into current times as if they would mean the same thing. So um, spare the rod perhaps doesn't mean what we think it means. And we don't go back to find out. We just assume it means if you don't smack them, then they won't behave. But perhaps it means something completely different. Perhaps yeah. it's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, back in the day, I mean, the rod was a staff that the shepherds used to guide their sheep. Right. And the sheep are their sole source of food and income. So they're not beating sheep. I mean, you watch people who herd sheep now. You use that staff. Now we use dogs. But you use that rod or that staff to guide the sheep. And so if you look at it one place, if you're talking about a Christian in the Bible, it's a, you know, it might say, spare the rod, spoil the child. But it really was a staff. And then you look another place, it says, thy, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Yeah. So right. how does it say it comfort? I mean, I don't get comforted if someone's chasing me with a stick. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it is just what you said. And I, I, I found that true with even my own book, because some of my books are in, well, I think 12 or 13, 14 languages. My hairdresser's Korean. So I had a Korean book and I took it over there and it was written in Korean. And I said, can you read, read this first couple pages and tell me what it says? I mean, I know what this book said because I wrote it. She reads those first two pages and starts telling me what it said. And I'm like, holy cow, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. Right. That was not my intention. I'm like, whoa. 
And I know that, you know, that happens a lot in translation. Okay, so what are some of the values you think that conscious discipline teaches that you see in action, that you've actually seen results? And do you have any stories of these actual values that show up in the classroom that would remind us of something of being faith-based? Well, I certainly think that when children are encouraged to uh, hold their hands over their heart and wish others well, um, certainly in conscious discipline, there is wishing well when a child's not there or wishing well when, um, uh, you know, when, when for they've had to leave the, the, the class community. But the, the idea of wishing well, one of the things that I, um, was really touched by is a child who is really struggling with, uh, saying goodbye to their parent. And this was just a, a little a four-year-old, and the four-year-old was standing just over to the side, had his hands on his heart, and just took a deep breath and extended his hands out to this uh, little boy um, who was struggling at the door. And and after he did, he just kind of walked away and started uh, working on his thing. And then when the little boy came over and started playing, he said, um, could you feel that I was loving you? <laughs> And so it was this idea of I didn't have to say anything. I could just be expressive of that. And it was it was really a very powerful moment. Or another moment in terms of just encouragement and kindness during a challenging moment. Um, a little girl uh, was getting angry at her friends because they wouldn't do what she wanted. And this little boy put his hand on her shoulder, you know, again, with with great compassion and empathy and said, remember, the only person you can be in charge of is you. And she she kind of went through the, yeah, that sucks, but it's probably true. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you're in kindergarten and you're already figuring that out. You know, I'm, it took me until I was 50 to figure that out. <laughs> oh, I'm still struggling with it right now. I'm still struggling. Yeah, I'm um, trying. Yeah, I probably am too, but I pretend. <laughs> But it was, it's the idea of what is it that we really think, uh, faith is about? And faith, I think that faith is really about holding our own worth as a, as a, a meaningful creation on this planet and holding the worth of others. Uh, because we are worthy, uh, you know, on any faith, life is precious. Life is worth protecting. But why would we beat up? something that's so precious. Why wouldn't we train up preciousness? Yes. And that comes from, you know, I've always said, you know, discipline is not something you do to children. Right. It's something you develop within them. And it's already in them. All we are doing is water and, uh, you know, put some sunshine on it because we are born genetically wired to be compassionate. Otherwise, we wouldn't take care of our young. Right. You know, we have to have this. A baby cries. It's like, oh, you know, 85 women turn, you know, and yeah. and a good 50% of the men. We all turn and go, we got to help this. So we're born with compassion. We are genetically wired to be helpful. And the thing is that when we get into the, when we get triggered, here's where the problem comes, you know. So when we get triggered, we go into the lower centers of our brain now. And then we end up in that kind of animal world. So if you think about the animal world, you know, and you're a mama, 
and you have a little baby deer, you want those little baby deer to say, now, don't you hang out with those lions because they'll eat Mm -hmm. you. So I'm going to make sure you don't go over to the lion territory. But it's genetically in there that not for them not to go over. But I'm just going to kind of help that genetics along. That's in the lower centers of the animal world that's also a part of our brain. But we have this other part. We have this other part that says, you know, there are no lions. We're all in this together. There's no good or bad. There's just hurting. They're safe and unsafe. And I can do something about it. And I think one of the skills I see often so in a classrooms with conscious discipline is this massive amount of empathy. I had this little boy and he was walking down the hall and he he was a little bit upset, but he had uh, white milk and he wanted chocolate milk. And so he was just kind of stomping down there like, I'm trading in my white milk. I'm getting me some chocolate milk. Now, I mean, he was just heading down to the cafeteria. On the way down there, a little boy had just entered and kind of his parent kind of dropped him off, kind of unexpected. This is kind of a high-risk school. And, and little boy was crying. He stopped what he was doing, forgot about his milk, went over and put his arm around this little boy and said, it's hard when you're just dropped off at the front and your mommy doesn't have time to say goodbye. Breathe with me. And they both started breathing. He says, I'm going to walk you back to class to make sure you get there safely. Now, again, we're talking at such a young age. And, I, you know, I, I still think of myself at this age, you know. I mean, if I'm changing from caffeine to decaffeinated, you better not get in my way. You know, so they could shift from this goal they had to something more cherished. And I think that might be why um, it's growing like a weed in the United States throughout the world and also kind of bleeding over into the faith-based community. Exactly. I think that when you take something that's already in tuned then you don't have to do so much reconfiguration. What children don't understand is hatred and dissonance. So when we, when we offer these skills, and that's what, you know, and I know you've had many of these experiences as well, but when you are speaking in these kinds of ways in schools with kids, you can speak between two children and help them resolve a conflict, and six kids will be on the perimeter listening to everything you say. And it's because they're aware this is, this is my, uh, this, this is my language. <laughs> like, I, this is the language of my soul. I want to know how to say it this way instead of, um, you know, what I heard one little girl say just recently in a, in a preschool that is just beginning, uh, to adopt conscious discipline, but they haven't done any of it. And a little boy, um, did something and she snapped back at him. We've already talked about this. Have we not talked about this? And I, this is a three year old. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> So if we really say we want to train them up, don't we want to give them the best of who we are? Uh, and that's really where we have to put our faith. Nobody, I don't know a single parent, at least the ones that I work with and coach, who feels good after beating up their kid. And not, I'm not talking about physically. I mean verbally giving them a hard time. Almost every parent, when I say to parents, how did you feel when you walked out of the room? Um, everyone that I've ever uh, asked that question to has said to me, I feel terrible. It, it is not in, in sync with who we're intended to be. And that's where I think when we talk about faith, 
We have to believe that who we were created to be is what rides inside of us and is bubbling up to say, love is more powerful than fear. It just is. It just is. I, I agree with you totally. Uh, this is uh, an interesting thing because I get this a lot, you know, when people say, are you this, Becky? Aren't you a Christian? Aren't you this? Aren't you that? Yeah, you get and that a I'm lot. I'm <laughs> like, you know, I am, uh, I am what I am. But I tell you one thing, I, I am a loving, compassionate human being that deeply wants to be all I can be. And that's all I've kind of done through my life. And I don't think that's unusual, just like you're saying, that we want to be the best that we can be. And if we've just not had the tools or the skills to know how to do that. And I love what you said about conscious discipline, maybe a language of the soul. I was just down working with 11 different countries, and we had five different languages. And I asked this one lady, I said, how many languages do you speak? And she says, I speak four. She goes, Portuguese, Spanish, Dutch, and conscious discipline. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, it, it is that it's, it's a language. It's a language that rolls on a different intention. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what speaks to us. That intention is to help each person be successful. That intention is to be present with you. That intention is to, when you're in a dark hole, to be a light that you can see your way out. I can't drag you out. I can't force you out. But I can hold up a candle, you know, and I can offer you the choice to come. And so I think that's what happens so much. I want to go back a little bit and one of the things that we talked about is forgiveness. Now, in conscious discipline, we we work real hard to help people understand that uh, we you just made a mistake. You don't need to beat yourself up, right. and and we play this uh, process called oops. Can you kind of tell us about oops moments? Sure. I, you know, I think that the difference between an oops and uh, having kids apologize, you know, we're so big on tell her you're sorry, tell her you're sorry. And for all of us adults, we've all had moments where having somebody say, I'm sorry, just didn't cut it. Um, and we've all seen kids who fly by what they just did with an I'm sorry, and that's supposed to clear it all as if it's the, you know, wiping clean of the of the surface. Yeah, the oops. eraser of life. Exactly. And we <laughs> I'm all sorry. Yeah, exactly. And we all hate it. <laughs> but we continue to, you know, again, we just keep saying to kids, that's what you need to do. So the difference in oops is, um, and, and the, I, you know, I love that one, um, one class actually had oops. Um, today I might have oops, but now I have another opportunity to problem solve. That's how they made the OOPS. I loved that. Another opportunity to problem solve. Um, but it's the, it's the idea of if a mistake happened, the best way to move forward in life is to correct the mistake. I, we do it, we do it with our academics. Uh, we do it with our, uh, you know, with our physical life all the time. So why wouldn't we do it in our emotional life? If I, um, if I have an upset, it's, it's a big upset happened. But as soon as I become conscious I can say, wow, this isn't working, and I'm going to choose to do it differently. In fact, I had a, a situation with my grandson recently where 
Um, I gave him a really ugly look, and I have not done that um, before. <laughs> and, and my first thought was, wow, your dad knew that look by the time he was two, and yours eight. <laughs> so I'm better. <laughs> but as soon as I did it, I said, Lincoln, that isn't the way I want to look at you. I want to, I, you know, I want to back up and do that differently. And his response to me was, I knew you could do it. <laughs> so in his heart, he held this belief that I could get back to being loving and caring. It wasn't that I just let it slide. Uh, what he had done still needed to be cleaned up. It was that I didn't need to do it with such anger. But in being able to say to him, that didn't work. Oops, that didn't work. And I want to do it differently. The biggest thing, and I say this to parents all the time, the biggest gift you can give your children is making a mistake and recovering gracefully. And and when we can say that was uh, that was a mistake, and I would like to do that differently, we offer that to our children instead of a society that says when you make a mistake, bury it or blame it on someone else, or say I'm sorry. Yeah, or say I'm sorry. So what would it be like if we lived in a world where you owned it, but you owned it with grace and dignity enough to say? I'm going to roll that back and give it another shot. Beautiful. So let's kind of sum this up. And even though we've just been chatting about uh, how conscious discipline started as a secular program and kind of bled over into uh, a faith-based community. I know at my own uh, uh, church, they use it in Sunday school for all the kids, so... Uh, it's it's kind of making its way where it needs to go. So here's some steps for tomorrow. First of all, if if you're struggling with that in any way, if you're struggling from shifting from fear to love to manage yourself, I mean, we're often very cruel inside our head, and we make a mistake and we beat ourselves up. And so it, it literally, you know, why did you do that, Becky? I can't believe you did that again. What's wrong with you? That voice, that voice that that's critical and condemning in our head becomes the same voice we use with children when they make a mistake. What are you doing? How many times do I have to tell you? I can't believe you did this again. So it, the first step for tomorrow then is let's start with ourselves. Let's start with ourselves. So let's start all playing an oops game. So instead of beating ourselves up when we make a mistake tomorrow, we're going to go, oops, I made a mistake. How can I do this differently? Now, that's one. Second, we're going to work on this thing called uh, forgiveness. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean you did something horrible and I'm going to forgive you for. Forgiveness means I forgot who I was. I forgot the essence of you and me. I forgot that core of love from which we came. And so I'm going to forgive you because I see behind you. I use that skill in conscious discipline, positive intent. I see the beauty in you. And I'll hold that light for you. You don't owe me anything. I don't have to pardon you. We just got to kind of get back in the game and remember who we are. So one, we're going to, oops, 
Two, we're going to remember that we are worthy and loving. And three, the only way to do that is to see everyone around us as worthy and loving. Mm -hmm. One of the powers of conscious discipline is what you offer to others, you experience yourself. So to remember your worth, you have to look at everybody else and see them as worthy. So with that, Amy, I want to thank you for this beautiful, wonderful discussion and your contribution. And for those listening, until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.